Hi, welcome to Makeup Week. I am Annabelle. And I'm Dee. And welcome to our first episode. So today we're going to talk about our name, uh, who we are, and our why. So our name Makeup Week is significant because we want to discuss the experience of being American while having Vietnamese roots. And I think it was something more significant than just saying Vietnamese American because we're emphasizing the fact that we are American. We just happen to have roots elsewhere as, as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think it's also important to just locate where we are uh, within this narrative. So Annabelle and I are both, uh, you know, in this third decade of our lives. And um, we've actually been friends since middle school and have known each other for over half of our lives, um, which is significant just for you all to be aware of. Um, And I think to Annabelle's point earlier, it's really about this hybridization of our identities. I think oftentimes people, you know, identify us as Vietnamese American, but there's something important and at least powerful to how we feel about reclaiming Miigopik in particular and saying that in Vietnamese. Um, And I mean, we'll be really excited to share more about our experiences um, as to what what that means to us later on. Um, But I think part of it is not just identifying ourselves as Vietnamese American, but specifically saying it in Vietnamese. Uh, Annabelle and I also have very different experiences when it comes to how we identify in terms of being Miigopik too, so. So the idea for this podcast actually started out because we are currently living, and this is, we're in the year 2020, Um, we're halfway through the year, and we are living through massive social movements all at once because we are living through a pandemic, and we are living through a movement for racial justice um, that has very rarely seen before, you know, this is comparable to the civil rights movement, it's comparable to what was going on in Vietnam before proceeding of the Vietnam War, and it's just, it's a lot. Not saying that we're better than other generations or that nobody else had to live through these tragedies, but, you know, if you think about it, we lived through, um, in our young lives, we lived through 9-11. We lived through an economic crash. We're living through now a pandemic that is affecting the entire planet, And we're living through our own uh, social uprising here in the United States. And, you know, for 30 years of my life, that is a lot of big things that have happened. And I'm I'm sure you feel the same, too. Actually, I've never asked you. Have you visited the United States? I mean, sorry. (laughs) Have you you visited Vietnam? Yeah. So I I lived lived there for six months uh, when I studied abroad there. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that was when you were in your uh, early 20s, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. When you go back to Vietnam, they like easily identify that we are Americans. Like they yeah. know. Even if you speak Vietnamese super well, there's something about you that's just different. Literally a decade ago um, is when I was living there for six months. But um, even like, I think it's important to call out that the word they call us is Viet Gu. They don't even call us Mi Gok Viet. And I think um, for me, partially why, uh, you know, when Annabelle reached out to me about the title for this podcast, I was drawn to it because I'm so used to being called Viet Gu or in, uh, like in rough translation, it's uh, like 
expat essentially. Um, but that's not really what we are. Well, at least that's not what I am because I actually am Mikopik. Like I am American and was born in the United States. Um, and so actually what's unique about this also is, yeah, as Annabelle said, there are a lot of differences um, to how people identify us. But when I was in Vietnam, people saw me as American. And then here in the United States, it's the complete opposite. People always see me as Vietnamese before American. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that those parallels and those differences are important to note. Yeah, absolutely. I think language is, language is very powerful. The implications of certain words are also very powerful. Vietnam used when I was little, that word had a certain sense of uh, privilege attached to it as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you are considered Vietnam in Vietnam, they expect you to be providers a lot of times too. You are expected to send money back, right? You are you are expected to uplift people who are still in Vietnam. And, and I understand that there's a reason why our, our families came here because we felt that there were opportunities here that would not be provided in Vietnam. Vietnamese people are so family oriented that even when we're thousands of miles away, we don't want to abandon our loved ones. And so we feel a lot of responsibility um, because the word Vicu has so much privilege attached to it that it feels like it's your job to uplift and to send some of that back to Vietnam. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And this is kind of hard even to say out loud, but when I visited Vietnam and I, was, I studied abroad there, I lived there for six months, but I actually never had a chance to meet my family that's still living there. And my family is originally from Southern Vietnam. And I think a large part of that was, it's actually only uh, my mom's side of the family that's still in Vietnam. And she was afraid of them, you know, having these expectations for me, especially because, you know, I was born in the United States. And then also that I was a student. It's not like I actually came equipped with like, even like $200 at the time to be able to support them or kick them out, right? And she just knowing, you know, she knows who, who I am and what I'm like. So obviously, I would have probably been easily, unfortunately, probably like guilted in in some way to doing something like that. Um, and so like, it was actually her preference that I didn't visit them, which is, I don't know, in some ways really hard for me to think about that, like I was so close to them and had never met them before and uh, still didn't have the chance to meet them. One of the driving forces behind this podcast is the fact that I noticed um, youth activism and how much of that has galvanized this moment in time. Not saying that older people don't, are not activists or they don't do activism. It's just younger generations seems to have taken the mantle pretty well. And not even talking just about millennials. I'm talking about Gen Z, you know, kids who are making like fucking TikToks about social justice. That's great. As much as I, you know, riff on social media sometimes it, it's all lovingly done and I, I as much as I make fun of kids sometimes I also you know have a lot of respect for them because when we were kids um, when we were in our you know mid-teens or whatever this was not a thing I guess the information that is being spread and how it's being spread is also different now because of the just accessibility of the internet like you can get news in the palm of your hands at any any moment you can text you can message you can video chat your friends and and put together 
um, a protest in a matter of minutes. Like, hey, you guys yeah. are free, you know, like, let's all do this. And that's, I think that's great. So I think the technology has also empowered young people somewhat. And I really, I really admire the fact that there is enough of them out there to drive a lot of these social movements. Again, I don't want to discredit older activists because that is exactly what young people do. You think you are the only activist out there. The difference in approaches when it comes to activism is definitely something we should talk about, especially as Vietnamese American people. And what I notice is that a lot of older Vietnamese people are very, um, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but sort of like very cautious if they want to talk about act social activism at all. From my personal experience, older Vietnamese people see it as not, not good. It doesn't matter what the cause is. It's always these people are troublemakers. It's also important to realize you know, Annabelle and I have known each other since middle school, and actually we were involved in this student organization that was around just like advocacy and also empowerment in other ways. So uh, there's a lot that ties our interests into this topic. Um, but I also think it's important to co-locate where our identities and our communities are in this moment in time. Um, so it's not only these racial justice movements through Black Lives Matter happening, but also in the broader context of COVID-19, there's also a lot of racism that is occurring within the Asian American community itself. Um, because, you know, with the co this coronavirus or COVID-19, um, it originated in Wuhan, China. And so a lot of folks have experience anti-Asian sentiments. Um, there's been a lot of racism that has been happening across the country. And so, yeah, it's just a really unique moment in time that we're experiencing this in parallel with other communities of color. And, uh, how, you know, we've always both been passionate about how to uplift those voices, but also how to drive forward progress and change. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a huge uh, pillar or something that we definitely want to be covering across this podcast. Um, and also, it's just really awesome to think about how we can be supporting and elevating youth voices in this way, too. Um, you know, we're kind of in this weird middle space where there are younger folks, Gen Z, that are, do, are, are doing these TikToks and older folks um, who, you know, have a lot uh, more experience. And so how do we kind of uh, find a balance between the two? But uh, back to your question, Annabelle, um, around just my family and you know how they approach protests and whatnot um I think my family is like a very good example of being very anti-rocking the boats um you know we immigrated here um in the late 80s and we're like you know the United States we owe everything to the United States like we couldn't have gotten this freedom if it was not for the United States and so that's typically the approach with my which with, with which my family thinks about protests is like we're acting against the government, um, even if the government isn't actually serving us or working in our favor. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. The fact that your family is um, against rocking the boat makes a lot of sense, right? Because we were refugees. And especially in the United States, there is a history of um, the model minority myth as sort of setting up Asian Americans in opposition to other minorities. Like Asian Americans are expected to be the quote unquote good minorities that have no problems uh, assimilating and end up being wealthy, which is patently false by the way. The, the numbers of Asian Americans who are actually in poverty are actually uh, a lot higher than what people would think. 
especially if you think about um, countries that have historically been ravished by war, like Vietnamese people. There are a lot of Vietnamese people, um, you know, Cambodians, Filipinos, like Southeast Asians are at risk for a lot of poverty as well. But nobody wants to think about that because they want to set us as the opposition to other minorities. It's a very crabs in a barrel mentality, right? Like we all are all fighting for the same scraps. Their narrative is that if only other minorities would behave like, like Asian Americans, you guys would be fine too. We would be fine accepting you guys too. Except that's not true because we saw with COVID, the moment anything Asian related is negative. They have no problems turning on us. They have no problems spitting on Asian people. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese. There was one tweet that was like, my mom thinks we'll be fine because we're not Chinese. And I laughed because she is so optimistic that she thinks these fucking racists would be able to tell us apart. The model minority myth is problematic, but it's also this, um, this concept of white adjacency, uh, right? So it's like, and I can just to like ground us in like more experience as opposed to just using these academic terms, because honestly, even in high school as a young person, I never heard about the model minority myth. I didn't hear about white adjacency. I just was like living my day to day. But as I, I think about it now, it, it's very evident in the way that even in the workplace that we are kind of pitted against each other. So for example, um, oftentimes, you know, I identify as a Vietnamese American woman. And so oftentimes I'll be placed in these mediation roles every time it involves a community of color or people of color, as if I can be tokenized to speak on behalf of black and brown folks as well as, uh, including, which is inclusive of Asian Americans as a whole. And that's super problematic because of this concept of white adjacency of how, oh, well, you know, Asian Americans aren't super problematic. They won't rock the boat. They'll try to find a, uh, an even ground somewhere or some type of compromise. And I actually really hate that. Like that angers me to the extent of us living into this role that folks have just placed us in. And I would say that that comes from all communities. It's like this model minority myth has permeated uh, the thinking of everyone, including folks like ourselves. And it's not to say that we like buy into it or we're living into it intentionally, uh, but I think it's almost just like sometimes with any stereotype, um, Sometimes it's hard not to find yourself in uh, that, like, see yourself from that monolithic perspective in some way. The political term of um, Asian American is an umbrella term. So uh, to your point, if we are not disaggregating these ethnic minorities or groups that are falling under Asian America, um, that is super problematic in itself as well. You know, Annabelle and I both identify as Vietnamese American or Mi Gok Viet, uh, you know, our namesake here, but um, there are lots of other Asian minorities, Hmong, Mian, Lao folks that don't have the same type of representation in the United States, and it's really important to identify who they are too. Yeah, absolutely. And even within Asian communities, um, you know, I mean, colorism. Let's colorism is another point that I don't even want to touch right now because that is a whole another level of history and oppression. Um, we can discuss that later, but. Ali Wong <laughs> has a bit from her comedy special, um, Baby Cobra, where she talks about uh, um, jungle Asians <laughs> because she's half Vietnamese um, and half Chinese, and she calls the Vietnamese half jungle Asian. I think my husband and I have a huge unspoken understanding 
uh, between each other because he's half Filipino and half Japanese, and I'm half Chinese and half Vietnamese. So we're both half fancy Asian. <laughs> and half jungle Asian. A lot of Vietnam is nature. It's a lot of jungle. It's beautiful. And out of that, because of the Vietnam War and guerrilla warfare, I think there's a lot of association with, um, you know, just being wild and sort of quote unquote savage, right? Yeah. And being saved, actually, like saved by America. Right. And being civilized by not just America, I think like also even before that, the French probably spread a lot of this misconception about us too. Yep. If you think about Southeast Asians as a group because of our the natural um, environments of these countries and also because of the white savior narrative and because we're not, we don't have the same pull as let's say China or Japan or Korea, we are considered a little, you know, we are considered the more uncivilized, the, the jungle Asians, the poor Asians. Um, of course, nobody wants to admit that that has to do with other countries coming in and colonizing all of these Southeast Asian countries. You know, it happened, you know, for sure it's happened to us multiple times, starting with China and then France and then America, you know. So I love everything that you just shared. And I think um, hopefully this gives folks a good idea of what we're hoping to accomplish through this, um, just through our time together. Honestly, this was just kind of like a passion project, something that we wanted to work on to just explore, you know, and, ha- and have honestly genuinely co- genuine conversation. Um, we're not going into this very well equipped or as professionals or anything, um, but we hope that, you know, whoever is out there and whoever's listening to us kind of imagines yourselves with us, like along this like similar lines of being really good friends, wanting to hear input from someone else and having really great conversations together. Yeah, I do hope that whoever's listening treats us as friends. Um, hopefully, they can relate to our experiences. And I think we discussed this before where you said we don't necessarily want to provide advice, but we do want to be relatable. Not everybody gets the privilege of living in like Southern California or just California in general, where there's a lot of representation for us everywhere we go, job wise, community wise. Um, but hopefully somebody out there can listen to this and feel like they have found friends. Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we ourselves are really great friends and we hope that this is a really, that's a welcoming invitation to invite other folks into our circle to engage in conversation with us. We are standing on the shoulders of giants. There are so many Asian American activists that have come before us, Vietnamese American activists as well. Um, and obviously, we, we very much so believe in the young people and power of young people. Uh, hopefully, this also serves as a platform to connect folks across all generations. And that's definitely something we want to talk, touch upon in the future, too, is like these generational gaps and trauma and things that are experienced as a result. Our episodes are going to be released uh, every Wednesday. And one Wednesday out of the month, we're going to devote that entirely to history because we have so much of it as a people and as a diaspora. So that's gonna be called Way Back Wednesdays. And we're pretty excited about that as well. Obviously we wanna be forward looking and um, thinking about what's next, but it's also really important to not lose sight of our roots and who we are. And so this is a really important part of this project for us is ensuring that we're, we're connecting the two or bridging those gaps in some way. 
Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us on our first episode of Me Gopiet. I am B, and I am Annabelle, and we hope you join us next time. <laughs>